welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Great Shot Kid, the podcast on the Nerd Party Network that is dedicated to looking at the work of Star Wars artists and beyond. And I'm one of your hosts, John. And I'm Mike. And this week we are going to be looking at a movie that we mentioned last week uh, in the context of our discussion of uh, Justice League, which was uh, co-written by Chris Terrio, who's writing episode nine. Um, We talked about For Love of the Game, uh, which is a movie that came out in 1999, same year as Phantom Menace, but uh, actually features uh, somebody who worked on uh, the Star Wars franchise, uh, Greg Landecker. Uh, who was a uh, who worked in the sound department for uh, both films? So uh, we're looking at for love of the game, which also features another Star Wars connection, because it has an actor who played a character who people told looked like Han Solo in Boogie Nights. Oh yeah, John, John C. Riley. Yeah. So you know, can you see the re- resemblance? I can. I kind of mm-hmm. can. I can kind of. I can kind of. I could see him playing Han Solo. Honestly. Oh yeah. That, that that would totally work. But mainly we're talking about for love of the game because uh, we love the film and uh, we just we we can't pass up an opportunity to talk about it. So um, for anybody that's not familiar with it, Mike, for love of the game, elevator pitch. Sam Raimi makes a baseball movie. There you go. There I you mean, go. The, that was because I mean, see, that was like the whole thing for me. Right was like, I love baseball, I love Sam Raimi, you know? And then they're like, well, Sam Raimi's making a baseball movie. And I'm like, I am there. I am so there. And, you know, that, that's, that was one of the things which really struck me, you know, when I first saw it, was how well the baseball action is shot, you know? It's it really, I mean, it, it's not like he does anything crazy with it or whatever. I think the thing that he does is just the the, the places where he chooses to place the camera, and like the lenses that he uses and everything, there's stuff which is very, very unique to movies and, and, and stuff which you'd never see in terms of baseball, right? Because with baseball, you can't put a camera on the field, right? I know Fox has tried. I know during the World Series, they had their uh, edge of the, the dirt in front of home plate cam, which, you know, had varying results. <laughs> varying is a good way to put it. But, you know, I mean, just the idea of like, okay, here's a camera with a wide angle lens right behind the catcher as, you know, a fastball comes in. And it's like, wow, that's so dynamic. And that that really does place you in the action. You know, it really places you in the mind of of Billy Chappell, Kevin Costner's character, you know, the pitcher, who is, uh, if you want the the, the plot of the movie, I mean, it's basically... Um, this guy, Billy Chappell, who's, you know, future Hall of Famer, he's at the end of his career and his relationship with his girlfriend, his longtime girlfriend is kind of falling apart and his career is, I wouldn't say falling apart, but it's winding down, right? Right. So he's pitching in what may be the final game of his career and Mm -hmm. he's pitching a perfect game. So the the story takes place over the span of that perfect game, but the real story it's it's almost a framing device. The real yeah. story is told through his memories and through flashbacks as you see his life and his relationship 
with you know his his girlfriend played by by Kelly Preston and I love this movie so much and I, I it shocked me when I found out that you did too because nobody else <laughs> likes this movie but see that surprises me that nobody else does I thought this was just a universally loved film my my history with it is I did not grow up as a baseball fan. I'm still not what one would call a baseball fan. I respect it. I watch a game from time to time. I prim- primarily pay attention during the playoffs in the World Series. Uh, I'm a longtime football fan, American football, falling out of love with American football. So it's possible if baseball plays its cards right, it could woo me. Come on, come but, on over to the to, to, to the dark side or the light. But I don't side, even have a whatever. I don't even have a team here to cheer for. I can give you a team to cheer for if that's what you're looking for. No, 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 no. I can't do that. I can't do that. I have to at least well, I mean well, okay. All right. Before we even talk about the movie. Okay, so let's say I, I say, All right, great. I'm gonna become a baseball fan and I'm gonna invest in a team. I got uh, the the Rays down here, right? The closest Tampa Bay team. Rays, yeah, Tampa Bay um, Rays, yeah. And they're they're several hours away, uh, but my allegiance should my allegiance be to the you know the area of my birth, so the Nationals should possibly come in there. But there's okay. conflict there because the Orioles were the only team when I was growing up in that area, and I was halfway between D.C. and Baltimore. So I'm not entirely sure where my allegiance should lie for that. See, okay, see, here's the thing, and this is what, and, and I don't know why, I don't know why this is a thing with me, right? But I've always just kind of felt on some base level, and it's completely irrational and doesn't matter at all, but like almost like your your default, because they're all mercenaries, you know? It's not True. like just because I'm from Chicago, you know, there's some sort of allegiance to the Chicago team, like they're all a bunch of Chicagoans, you know? Yeah, it's not like, point. you know, that there's some sort of, you know, any of that stuff. But I, I almost as just sort of like a way of deciding, my philosophy has always been like, whatever team you were closest to when you were born should be sort of your your uh, allegiance. So for you, it would probably, I mean, you were born in D.C.? I was born uh, in a suburb of D.C., yes, but there was no D.C. team when I was growing up. So for you, it would be Baltimore. (laughs) But obviously, that's just a completely irrational thing. That's why, you know, like... I mean, like I, 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 you know, I've had this conversation like (laughs) with, you know, with, with my wife and stuff like that. I'm like, if we ever have kids, we need to make sure that the hospital is closer to the cell or the, 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 the the arrow, you know, the White Sox home stadium than it is to Wrigley Field, the Cubs home stadium. Because I want my, my, my uh, weird little theory thing to still work, but there's no way that I'm going to raise a kid to be a Cubs fan. Uh, I can't imagine. Why would you? But see, that's one of the things I respect about baseball is those rivalries are still okay. Like they still work. Like it's, it's, you know, one of the reasons I'm falling out of love with American football is it's all about fantasy football. And I I could care less about Dallas playing D Washington now, whatever, who cares? Like, like it's even more mercenary because I, I remember probably, my long falling out of love with American football goes all the way back to when uh, when Snyder took over uh, the Redskins. He wound up putting uh, Deion Sanders from the Cowboys on the team and bumping longtime hometown favorite Daryl Green 
out of his position so that Sanders could be on the team. And like that was that was a seriously heartbreaking moment. That was like the world has changed. I don't understand how this works anymore. That's why you know my my dad crushing biggest baseball fan in the world you know grew up on the south side of chicago with the white Sox. you know they were his team forever and still are you know but if you were to ask him and not it's it's not even like you know like if you were to you know put put a a hot lamp you know over his head and like really grill him about this but like if you were just like literally to ask him in passing you know he'd be like it doesn't really matter he's like i don't care i i mean he's he's one of these people who like He'll go. He'll go watch anything from a sixteen-inch softball game to you know the World Series, and he will completely enjoy himself. You know, to to, to the fullest extent. You know that 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 he can just because he's watching baseball. You know what I mean? For him, it truly is about love of the game. For love of the game, yes. Which, and... which brings us back to the movie, and my point of entry with it is I was dating somebody. It was a, a long-term relationship, and she was a big-time um, baseball fan. And, of course, Baltimore was her team. Probably why I don't want to go with the Orioles at this point. <laughs> okay, let me just stop you just well. for a second, okay? Yeah. Here, this is what I propose, right? Mm-hmm. Throwing mm-hmm. out my stupid whatever, Okay. okay? This year is going to be an exciting year for the Chicago White Sox. And uh, as someone who doesn't live in market, and you, you actually have probably have an opportunity to see more games than I do. Anyway, it's going to be an exciting year for the White Sox because they're rebuilding. They might not be competing this year, but they are going to be rebuilding. And in a year or two, they're going to be like the Astros were this year. So what I propose as someone who's falling in love, falling out of love with football, you know, and someone who may be looking for another sport to occupy your time, um, mm-hmm. try out a season of baseball. And okay. as your test team, just follow the White Sox and, and I'll be there to guide you. I will do this. Okay, cool. I will do this. I, I will I will try I will try it out. I will see if these boots fit. That's fine. What's 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 I, your cap size? Uh <laughs> too large. <laughs> Uh, okay. The fitted the fitted cap tour is always just heartbreaking for me. I have a very weirdly shaped head. Like, oh no, I know your pain. Like yeah, I need to try on like fifteen caps in order to find one that yeah. fits because well, I don't have any fit, hair. And one I'm in size fits sizes. all is a lie. One size that? fits all is a lie. It, it's a total lie. Like I was always the kid where I was like one size fits most. No, not all. <laughs> um, you need the extra large one. Yeah, See, no, I need the extra small yeah. one. I don't know what that um, is. Not yeah. For me, I, I need I yeah whatever. But uh, <laughs> the, my girlfriend at the time was diehard baseball fan, and she did everything she could, and she started winning me over. I st- and of course, I'll cop to it. I read Summer '49 by David Halberstam. Loved that book. Fantastic book. Still love the book. But I had the nerve to be somebody who grew up in a suburb of D.C. halfway to Baltimore, and I decided as I was falling in love with baseball, I did it. I became a Red Sox fan because, mm. oh, they never won the World Series, blah, 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 blah. Well, that's right. And so, I, yeah, I jumped on that bandwagon. I will never do that again. I, it was a real le- – I was much younger. It was a real lesson for me. Um, just, yeah. But uh, I uh, I saw this this film – and I could not believe how much I loved it. Like at the end of it, it, it was one of those things where 
we got we rented it or something and uh she said well well you know let's just watch this it's supposed to be a good movie i was like all right let's watch it and i think that this movie did more than even like field of dreams to sell me on the idea of the specialness of baseball. Oh yeah, like, this movie is like way, way, way better than Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams yeah. is actually a bad movie. I hate to break okay. it to everybody, but Field of Dreams is a bad movie. I'm sorry, get over playing catch with your dad or whatever. It's a bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it's good. No, it's not great. It, it, its reputation is far beyond. Uh, it, it's actual screen value or, or however you want to say it. I, I definitely agree on that front. But I think speaking to your point about the way this movie is shot, I think that one of the problems of a lot of sports movies is that they feel beholden to shoot the shoot the game the way that people expect to see it, uh, if, if that makes sense. And I think that's why any given Sunday works so well. Is yeah. because that is not shot the way I expect to watch a football game. And it's like, it's crazy insane. And I think that this, I think you're absolutely right. The way the camera's placed and the way things move around and the way they're edited, you feel like you're in these in these characters' headspace. You feel like you know them uh, at the end of it. I, I think it's brilliantly directed. I personally, like I would have given this like a Best Director nomination, hands down. It made my top 10 list, and that was 1999, which mm-hmm. I'm on record numerous times as saying is maybe the best year in cinema history. I know at least one person that would contend that it was 1982. I'm not saying it's me, <laughs> but I have a hard time picking a specific year. I have a very nostalgic tied to 1989 but i think that 1999 has a terrific argument in its favor absolutely 89 and 82 are definitely very solid but 99 i think was like a turning point for for movies i I don't know a lot of ways it was and and for love of the game was was definitely part of that you know it was it was actually a you know a book an unpublished book at first um by uh what's his name michael shara the guy who wrote uh, gettysburg well uh the book that gettysburg is based Uh, on killer angels killer angels yeah and actually in the movie when um they're on the team plane you can see Kevin Costner reading a copy of Killer Angels. I have never picked up on that. Yeah. I have to go, oh, darn, I have to go back and watch this again. <laughs> but it, it, it the, the book, which I, it's a very short book, and um, I, I started reading it like when the movie came out, and for some reason I never finished it. But it, it was a, a book which Shara wrote and never published, never told anyone about. And after he died, his son was going through like his desk or something, and he found the manuscript. So it was published post- posthumously. And um, one of the interesting things about it is, while it does take place at Yankee Stadium, and they are playing the New York Yankees, the team which you know Billy Chapel is on is not the Detroit Tigers. It's a fictional team, the Atlanta Hawks, which is weird because it's a Wait, basketball that's the team. Basketball, yeah. What? Huh? <laughs> but whatever. Maybe he wasn't did, a big baseball fan. I don't know. Did Michael Maybe he's Shara like Atlanta Hawks? I don't know. Did, hmm. Maybe he was just counting on an editor to do like 
find and replace for him or yeah. something. He's like, he's what's like, that team? Eh, Hawks. He's like, I know Yankee Stadium. I knew Yankees. I don't know anything else. I don't well, know. he knew enough <laughs> anyway. to know that everybody hates the Yankees and their but, fans. <laughs> but you can't even really do like Atlanta Braves because it's a National League team and you run into some problems with interleague stuff, especially at that point in time. So when it came time to decide, like, well, what team are they on? You know, it was left up to Sam Raimi. And Sam Raimi, being a good old boy from Michigan, was like Detroit Tigers, of course. They still wanted to set it at Yankee Stadium because they figured that was, like, integral to the story, that it was in New York. Yankee Stadium is so iconic. They wanted it to be in Yankee Stadium against the Yankees, but in terms of the the team that, that Billy was on, he picked the Tigers because that's his hometown team. The Yankees, you don't have to be a baseball fan. Like, you know them. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they have appeal across. But um, the Tigers, you know, there might actually, I, I'm sorry to say this, but there might be actually be an argument for me to follow the Tigers because my wife's family is from the Detroit area. And you're so, a, uh, a For Love of the Game fan. Yeah. Oh. But that would make well, for anyway, some well, uh, contentious... Uh, I mean, you think that, that we argue now about movies. Oh, my God. Because, I mean, <laughs> screw the Cubs. You know, it's the Tigers that are our mortal enemies of the White Ooh, Sox. So This know. could be interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I uh, I can tell you, though, that um, what's interesting is because, like you said, that one of the focuses of this is he's, as the movie is flashing back over his life and telling the story, um, he's in the midst of pitching a perfect game. And I remember very specifically... It was around this time period, probably a little bit after or whatever. I was over at my friend Chris's house, and his family is originally from uh, the the New England region. So they are Patriots fans, and they are Red Sox fans. And we were watching a Yankees game, and I want to say they were playing the Red Sox. I don't know, but Mike Messina had just been traded. This was the year after he had been traded over from the Baltimore Orioles. And we were watching... And he was in the midst of pitching a perfect game and it was going on and I'd seen the movie. So I understood how special this is, how incredibly rare, what an achievement it is. And it got to, I, I want to say it was like a seventh inning or something. And I looked at my, my friend Chris and I said, well, I mean, you want him to do it, right? Like that's, this is baseball history if he does it. And he turned and he looked at me and said, hell no, he's a Yankee. I don't want him getting that. And I suddenly realized at that moment how intense these rivalries can be. Oh yeah, like it's that's pretty crazy that you don't you don't you can't even like separate yourself. You know, to to go back to America, you know, to, to go back to football, like when Brett Favre breaks the the you know the the pass completion record, even the team he's playing against stops and like applauses, like "Hey, Brett, hey, nobody mm-hmm. can take that away from you." But in baseball, they're like. Stop it from happening. Somebody run on the field and hit them on the top of the head or something like that. Like, they do not want that team to have that honor. The, those those are fans. But it is customary, like, if someone pitches a perfect game or a no-hitter, the, the, at the end of the game, the, the other team will come out of the dugout and, and give a, a standing ovation to the pitcher. <laughs> so, you know, I think the fans okay. might be more intense than the actual players. <laughs> So. <laughs> you know how these things work because they yeah. don't care. They didn't grow up as Yankees fans, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. I don't, for me personally, like if, if it's just a random game, which is on, like, I always want to see the, the no hitter, you know, happen. And if I'm there, 
I definitely want to see it because obviously it's so rare that you're, you're witnessing history and I would sacrifice a loss of it. But I mean, there have been times where I've been at home, like watching games where the White Sox were getting no hit. And I'm just like, oh, this is the worst. You know, it really <laughs> is. And I, you know, I, it's always one of my, well, it's just, it's just the way it worked out. But you know, the last, uh, well, no, actually it's not the last because Philip Umber pitched a no hitter, which is a very, or pitched a perfect game, which is a very strange thing because he was kind of like a, you know, a guy, I mean, he was a major league pitcher, but you know, bottom of the rotation, you know, mm-hmm. he ended up, I think, being a reliever by the end of the year, but he very, very randomly pitched a perfect game, you know, for the White Sox against the Mariners. But, um, uh, before that, uh, Mark Burley, who is the the White Sox ace for years and years and years, uh, you know, led the team to the World Series, you know, in in two thousand five, all that stuff. He he's pitched two no hitters, and one of them was a perfect game, and it it was one of the most intense. I mean, you think that for love of the game is dramatic, <laughs> nothing like the Mark Burley perfect game. You know, there was this very, very famous catch by Dwayne Wise where he leapt, you know, above the wall to bring back a home run and didn't catch it, but, you know, knocked it back into the field of play. And then as he was stumbling to the ground, bobbled the ball and grabbed it before he hit the ground. I mean, like that happened in this game, like in like the eighth wow. or ninth inning, I think. I think I think it might have been the ninth inning. Anyway, regardless, this this was an amazing game on just a random Thursday afternoon because you never know when it's gonna happen, right? And that morning, my dad called me up and he's like, Hey, I got an extra ticket to today's game. You wanna go? And I'm like, nah, I have to work. And he's like, okay, well, I'll see you later. And then I'm listening on the radio at work, oh, and I'm man. like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> my biggest regret in life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Okay. That's – okay. See, the thing is, maybe maybe this is the end. I, I think, like, w- this has got to be the movie you would show somebody if you want to sell them on the idea of baseball, right? I, it depends on the person. If you want to sell someone on like the romanticism of baseball, I mean, there's a lot of people who would be like, well, it's Field of Dreams, dummy. And, you know, okay, fine, whatever, yes. But no, because you want to show them a good movie and you want to show them what baseball <laughs> is actually like. Like if you want to show them, like if, for example, um, I were to show a baseball movie to Lee, who's like, I've never seen a baseball game because I live in Scotland. <laughs> I'm what just they assuming. They, they um, use like cricket bats and <laughs> what was that? Something right? Don't they use cricket bats for something? I think so. Yeah, probably right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's into the cricket thing. You know, maybe maybe I'm going to have a cultural exchange with Lee where he shows me some uh, some football as they call it. No, and and I and I get to see I get to show him some baseball. But um, if I were to you know if you just wanted to say like what is this baseball? I would definitely show them for love of the game. But if it was someone who was familiar with baseball and was like, I hate this sport, blah, 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 it would really depend on the person. Like, if I were talking to someone who's like, let's say, you know, um, more analytical-minded or whatever, someone who's maybe like into science and stuff, I would definitely show them Moneyball. Haven't seen that. 
It's the best. I mean, I, I used to always say For Love of the Game is the best baseball movie ever made. And mm-hmm. I thought it was until Moneyball came out. And now Moneyball is the best baseball movie ever made. But it's not about the game. I mean, there's like maybe like two shots where people are actually playing baseball. It's about the construction of the team. How do right. you make a, a, a winning team when you have no money and, uh, you know, you need to rely on just hidden figures, essentially? Sabermetrics. Sabermetrics. Right? And yeah. if you if you want to read an awesome book, read yeah. Moneyball. I mean, like, you don't have to be a baseball fan at all. You know, it is fascinating just to see how it's a story about, like, I mean, it's not, I mean, the book isn't a story. The book is, you know, it's just a nonfiction book about, like, here's how this guy did this thing, you know, and it, it's all about sort of like taking. Trying to succeed when the game is completely rigged against you. When you have a team like the Yankees with billions of dollars to spend and they can just throw money at problems and literally buy the best players and plug them in wherever they need them, there's no way that a team that has, you know, in some cases maybe a tenth of the budget can compete. You need to figure out how to compete against that. And you need to use the numbers, the statistics, and everything to do that. And that's what this guy, you know, Billy Bean, the general manager for the Oakland A's, did. And still does to this day. And, you know, he put a team on the field that could compete with the Yankees for, you know, a fraction of the cost. It's insane. And, I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Like, you, you like, and, and the, the movie is a, a fictionalized version of it. You know, it's basically taking that story and putting it into a, a narrative, but it's, you know, written by Aaron Sorkin and the guy who wrote Schindler's List. So, you know, I mean, they kind of yeah. know what they're doing. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> kind of, yeah. 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 And, and the, the movie is amazing, too. The movie is absolutely amazing. But, I mean, the book is better. The book is phenomenal. Uh, so I, I, I highly, highly, highly recommend both of those. And I mean, that's the type of thing where anytime I see a movie like For Love of the Game or read a book like Moneyball, it reignites my passion for baseball. Because baseball, I mean, you know, it's the old thing, you know, it's a long season. It is a long season, 162 games, and everyone's there on opening day, and there's such, you know, promise or whatever. But when you get into June and your team's already in fourth place and, you know, it's not looking good, it's hard to maintain interest. It's hard to turn on the TV every night and sit down for three hours and watch your team probably lose. And you do start to lose that passion. And by the time you get to the end of the season, you're kind of like, I'm glad that it's over because I need a break. And when April rolls around, you know, I'll be just as excited as the next person. But whenever I read a book like Moneyball or see a movie like For Love of the Game, which is really about the love of the game, then it really reignites my passion for the game. And it makes me want to turn on a baseball game, you know? Yeah, you know, I I think that um, one of the greatest things of a, a movie like uh, for love of the game is that it is, I think it's an incredible touchstone because it is incre- and fever pitch did this with that one scene where, you know, he sees them in the restaurant when they're, they're losing the world series and everything. And, you know, he says, they're, they're just, they're just guys. They're just doing their job. And 
there's there's that but then you look at something like for love of the game and it's i think it's so easy to forget regardless of what sport but like you know you look out on the baseball field and you see people there every guy there had a different type of day or had a different something happen to him in the last month or something like that and they're all putting that aside and internalizing it and finding a way to stay focused or to bring that energy in and i think that this film really you know really really reminds you of that 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 everybody's having a day you know everybody's having a day when they show up to work yeah and are you having a day in front of millions of people half of whom want you to die on the mound because they think you're you're worse than scum because you're up against them and you could cost them their playoff chances or something like that yeah like that is huge that's heavy and i like i would show this film also to remind everybody of kevin costner what a force of nature he was at the top of his game like he was like it's so easy now I like it's disorienting for me sometimes, but like somebody like Kevin Costner was huge. He was a big star. He was a well-respected actor. And you show something like for love of the game. It's like, wow, why don't I hear from this guy right now? What, what, what choices did he make in his career that now he's, uh, where is he? I think, I think it's kind of like, you know, Billy Chapel. like he got old, he aged out in a mm. sense, you know? And I mean, because we know how Hollywood is, you know, they're always obsessed with what's non- young and what's new and, and everything. And but it is interesting, like he did have a lot of power and, and he actually, you know, exerted that power on uh, during the making of this movie quite a bit. You know, there were some conflicts between him and the studio and Raimi as well. And uh, a lot of people kind of like saw the movie as not working in one way or another, and they tried to fix it in in the editing. And they actually cut it down substantially, from what I understand, and, uh, you know, turned it into what it is now. Originally, it was going to be R-rated, which you can totally tell. There's a few scenes, and this seems like it doesn't happen nearly as much now as it used to, but for, like, uh, words getting cut out in order to get, like, a lower rating... Yeah, I mean, there's like one, I mean, here there's a sentence which doesn't make any sense in the thing where she's like, I just don't screw like that. And I hate that word. It's like, wait, wait, what word is that? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Screw. Okay. Yes. It's like my my sister just sent me a text saying that my mom has started uh, using a more forceful word, uh, freaking. And she feels uh, like it gives her a lot more power because she can use it, uh, you know, very um, harshly. So good for my mom. Um, <laughs> my children have to remind daddy every so often not to use <laughs> daddy. You're not supposed to. Yes. We've actually worked out a whole thing where uh, we've we've worked out different uh, different code words that I'm allowed to use that give me the pleasure of cursing without being curse words. Melon Juice farmer. Box. Uh, juice box, oh. Bandersnatch. Um, Bandersnatch sounds dirtier than most curse words. I, I have no idea what the origin of that <laughs> word is, but it's in there. Um, but then, of course, I was able to resurrect, and it makes the kids laugh, but I, 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 I've uh, resurrected a word that I learned from my parents, jerkweed. Oh, that's good. Um, that's a good go-to. Yeah. That's a good go-to. I think you should, yeah. you should uh, work in Melon Farmer if you can. Melon Farmer? Okay. Yeah. Melon, far- melon Farmer would work. yippee ki Melon Farmer. That was uh, the, the famous... <laughs> you know, have uh, you ever seen the Die Hard... Have you ever seen Die Hard 2 on television? That's what they say, right? 
I, I don't know if that's what they say, but it is the worst, yeah. worst overdubbing of curse words. I, first and foremost, don't bother trying to show a Die Hard movie on television. What are you, what are you thinking that you're going to try to show this movie on television? But the voices don't even match up. It is, it. it I mean, it, it's a marvel. If anybody hasn't seen, I'm sure that TNT is going to have it on. You know, with Christmas time and everything. Watch Die Hard on basic cable. I have to check that. At, I hear Die Big Lebowski is really good. I've never seen it, but um, my, my all-time favorite was Mallrats because <sighs> every single word in there is a curse word, and yeah, it's 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 rather amusing, but. But yeah, so they do that in this movie. They also, apparently, there was some Kevin Costner nudity in this movie, yes, which was cut which, out. And um, I remember reading a report at the time that uh, it got giggles from the test audience. Yeah, and Costner was mad. He really went to bat for his butt and uh, lost. He struck out. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, though, because another thing that I read in like some like Sam Raimi biography or something like that is like, Raimi kind of agreed with the studio that the movie wasn't working in its present form, and he actually made a cut, which was much shorter. It was like 90 minutes long. Oh, wow. And Costner was the one who stepped in and was like, no, 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 no. You know, we need to maintain some of this. So what was released is actually something in between what Raimi wanted and what Costner wanted. I don't think either one was, uh, but I mean, Raimi said, he's like, because Costner was very vocal about it, right? He's like, they mm-hmm. butchered it. And, you know, Raimi, when asked, I remember reading about it in Entertainment Weekly, he's like, I don't know what to say about that. I'm happy with the movie that was released. So, sorry, you know? You know, I, Well, I mean, Kevin Costner didn't always get along with his directors, you know, Robin Hood. Waterworld, this. There's sort of a hit. Dances Maybe that's wolves. what happened to him. Maybe that's what happened to him over time. Maybe. Was was he just was so he became difficult to work with. Could be. I, I mean I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not I'm not, I'm just supposing. I'm like I mean, you have these stories there and then he sort of like fades. Maybe it was just bound to happen eventually. Yeah. You know, in some way. Uh, you know, um, Speaking of Sam Raimi, I mean, this was definitely like a turning point in his career, which had been sort of like shifting away from, you know, the mm-hmm. Evil Dead type of horror movies into some something else. And uh, there's like three in the middle here, which I think are like really, really great and really, really weird for Raimi before he gets into Spider-Man territory and then goes all crazy with it, you know. Yeah. Um, but the one right before this and the one right after this were... Um, a Simple Plan, and The Gift. Have you seen either of those? Haven't seen either one of those. Oh, no. God. I mean, everyone. A Simple Plan is the one that everyone loves. The Gift is the one that I love. But both of them are so good. Simple Plan, it stars Bill Paxton, along with like yeah. Billy Bob Thornton and stuff like that. And I think I've promised to see this before. It's about I've like... I've never gotten around to it. It's been so it. long since I've seen it, so I could be getting some of the details wrong. But essentially, it's about like these normal everyday guys who, you know, they're working class, they're in debt, you know, I mean, just like everyone, right? And they stumble across like a bag of money that like yeah. from a, the mob or something. I think I think there was like a pla- a crashed plane and they 
like we're the first ones to the crash and there's a duffel bag full of cash in there. So they're like, let's take it. And then basically the entire movie is about how them taking that cash has basically destroyed them and their lives, you know, and, and kind of like turn them into these people who they weren't when the movie started. It's really, really good. I mean, it was like, you know, that was one of, I mean, that movie was ending up on like top 10 lists at the end of the year and everything like that is great. Mm. But the gift I I think is even better. The gift is, uh, it stars Kate Blanchett and she's like a local psychic in like a, you know, kind of like a, uh, a rural community. And she, you know, seems to have psychic powers and there's like a murder in the town. And basically she's kind of tasked with, figuring it out but no one believe you know it's I, I know that sounds like oh it's crazy spooky whatever but it's done like a straight drama you know like mm. i mean people are just like she's not what are you talking about she's a psychic she's not a psychic that's just what she does for a living you know it's like she doesn't actually have any psychic powers right you know that kind of thing yeah and and you know but she does it's it's really good it's really really good highly recommend yeah. both of those movies check them out that I I should check them out, you know. It, but the thing is, we're sitting here, we're talking about Costner. Um, I can tell you, hands down. I mean, aside from this, uh, the the Costner movie I always go to. If I were to try to show somebody a Costner movie to convince them of his greatness as an actor, Silverado. Silverado. Oh, have you I've seen never that? seen that? What That's Lauren, isn't that Lawrence? This is Lawrence Kasdan. We've got I a movie know. to watch. I know, yeah, so I need to watch that one for Kevin sure. Kevin Klein, John Cleese. I need to see it. It's Kevin Costner, at the very beginning of his career, he's an unknown in the film. Really? Yeah, yeah, he's an unknown at the time. That Silver, Silverado. We're, we're okay. going to add that to the docket. we got to watch right. And I'm a huge Western fan, so. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah, that, that so is the, a Kazan film, though. Yes, yes, and that's why I need to see it for sure. No, for me, it's it's JFK. That is a great film, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that before, but that is yeah. a great film. That is definitely a great film. Absolutely insane, but a great film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Well, okay. You know what? I, I think that um, we've stayed very clearly out of spoiler territory, but I think it's very clear that both of us, for love of the games up there, if you have not seen it, do yourself a favor. And uh, just as a, uh, a final note about... Uh, Landacker working on it. The sound is wonderful in this, actually, especially whenever he has to go to clear the mechanism. And if you haven't seen it, when you watch it, you'll understand what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. If you can watch it in surround sound or with some headphones, definitely do that. I, I actually, when I was in, in school, I took a class on sound, sound design, that, that type of thing. And uh, we had to do a project where we basically dissected a scene from a movie Mm-hmm. And said like, okay, well, clearly this element was recorded after the fact. This was done on set, blah 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 blah. blah. You know, like that sort of thing. You know, it, as as a way of sort of like teaching us how sound is constructed in in a film. And for that um, for that project, I actually picked uh, for Love of the Game a scene from For Love of the Game because it is pretty impressive how it's how it's all put together. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, so obviously we invite you guys to see it, uh, but it, you know if you do see it or if you have seen it and you want to discuss it with us, uh, you can find us over on uh, nerdparty.com slash contact. Just look up the show and drop us a line. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at JoinNerdParty. 
the Nerd Party on Instagram and on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Nerd Party. Use the hashtag Great Shot Kid and you'll reach us. Uh, Mike, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can find me on my website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, doing a show called Commentary Trackstars. And you can also find me on Trek.fm, doing a show called The Edge, and another show called Stage 9 with you. That's right. We both do Stage 9, and we uh, just uh, we just discussed the thrilling news of uh, Quentin Tarantino expressing interest and an idea for a Star Trek movie, which is, yeah... That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. So it could amazing. be as good as for love of the game. That would be. That would be amazing. Um, and you can of course find me uh, back here on this network, uh, co-hosting aggressive negotiations with Matt Rushing. You can find me co-hosting words with nerds with my pal Craig. And if you want to look me up online, look for Kessel Junkie. And uh, thanks for joining us this week. And we will catch you next. Join the revolution. Join the Nerd Party.